This is GeekCab on the books, Brian Niemeyer, briannemeyer.com. And joining me tonight is a dear friend of the show, both this one and GeekCab Prime. Um, he has been my esteemed colleague and friend in the world of fiction writing for a while now. I'm um, speaking, of course, about Russell Newquist, author, editor-in-chief of Silver Empire Publishing, and of Lioness, and also a martial arts instructor. So we're pleased to have him today. Russell, how are you doing? I'm doing really well. How are you, Brian? Oh, well, it's uh, it's been quite a week, and uh, I'm, I'm feeling pretty good right now. But uh, it, I'm, I'm feeling like you do after a tournament, probably. <laughs> <laughs> I was put through my mental paces pretty recently, but um, came to a satisfactory conclusion. Thanks. Um, all's well that ends well, right? Absolutely. I'm just uh, my brain is just a bit sore right now, but uh, no, that's that's just weakness leaving it. Well, so today we're going to talk about your upcoming book launch. Is that correct? And then whatever else geekish you wanted to talk about. Sure. Um, I've got a new urban fantasy book coming out in. Uh, September. Um, it's a bit of a, it's been described by several people who have read it as kind of a Jim Butcher meets Larry Correa kind of deal. Um, the title is War Demons. Uh, it's about a young man who goes off to Afghanistan after a traumatic event in his life. And um, when he comes home from war, his, his demons follow him, you know, and everybody comes home from war with demons, but his, his are actual demons. And I, I will tell our listeners that I have been privileged to read a preview of this book that Russell sent me. And if you like Jim Butcher, if you like Larry Korea, this is just uh, a love letter to those. Uh, it's fast-paced, action-packed, and you know, as a theologian, I, I was interested because it uh, does deal with how faith can in combat evil, I suppose. When you say that's um, a major theme of the work, especially with uh, the Peter Bishop character? Um, definitely. And and one of the things that, that I took, one of the approaches I took with the book that, that I think, in my opinion, it used to be very common, but now it's kind of uncommon. Uh, it's, it's gone so much the other way, is... Um, that my my world kind of it's it's not a it's not a proselytizing book. It's not out to hit you over the head with any religion and convert you. But it it takes the Christian worldview kind of for granted. It it assumes that the Christian theology and mythology are are real, um, rather than trying to create some kind of synthesis of well oh every faith is there. It it kind of works with that as a starting ground, which. You know, if you look at a lot of the classical literature, like um, Dracula, for instance, that's just kind of how it is. Um, but in the modern urban fantasy, that's a little bit unique. So I, I kind of went old school. Yeah, exactly. It it did remind me of Dracula, and that, as um, Phoenix and editor Jeffrey Johnson might say, the Christian worldview is just taken for granted as the underlying foundation of, I don't know if I want to say the magic system, 
But like I said, it, it's there. You're not clubbed over the head with it. Um, so yeah, I, I would agree the book doesn't proselytize, but neither is it overly syncretistic or relativistic. And right. It doesn't subscribe to this kind right. of religious indifferentism that you find in a lot of postmodern works. Right. It's it's not indifferent. It it has a definite moral point of view to it as well, which and and there's definitely some uh, characters who do some very immoral things in it and reap the consequences thereof. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And I don't spoil that, but uh, you um, you described it to a T. And um so yeah, we, we uh, talked about that, and then we talked about uh, pre preparing for this show. We talked about also um, uh, talking about some of the things. This is my first novel. I've, I've written a number of short stories before and, and the like, but it's my first novel. And, and Brian and I talked about um, discussing some of the pitfalls I ran into on a first novel and um, maybe things that uh, we could give some advice to aspiring authors so that you don't have to make the same mistakes I did and maybe make your own. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, I, I can confirm that I committed any number of, of newbie author mistakes. Sounds good. Are there any that are on the top of your list? What, what would you say was the number one mistake that you now realize in hindsight you made on your first book that you would advise new authors to avoid, and what's the best way to avoid it? Well, I, I have a couple. I, I took some notes, but we, we can riff off of it and, and go whichever direction. Um, the, uh, the first one that I knew this going in from experience in other arenas, but I um, obviously you still have to fight it anyway, especially your first time. Um, I see people a lot. I've, I've had a lot of experience for years, um, not even as an aspiring writer, just as a fan. I would go to places like Dragon Con and sit in writing panels. And um, you'd always see all these aspiring authors um, hanging out, listening to other authors like, well, well, what can I do? What can I do to write? How, how do I do this? And what do I do? And even, even when I wasn't an aspiring writer, I could look at a lot of these people and say, hey, look, the, the number one thing you really need to do is sit your butt down in a chair and write. <laughs> and, exactly. You know, we can give you all the other advice in the world, but if you can't sit down and actually write, then none of it matters. Um, and it's a struggle. Um, I have, as Brian said, I'm, I'm running two separate businesses already, and I have a full-time job on top of that, and I have four small children in the house. It's hard to find the time. But if you want to get it done, you have to find the time. That's it. You just have to make time and sit down and write and okay. throw everything else out. Um, I have a really good friend um, who is uh, in a totally different industry. He's, he's in the game industry. Um, a uh, fairly big name in that industry. And he's he and I have shared this for years. We talk about it. He's like, people come up to him all the time and are like, hey, I have this great idea for a game. <laughs> <laughs> and, and it irritates him to death because he's like, look, I have more ideas than I could ever possibly do for games. It's not the idea that's the hard part. It's the sitting down and doing it and doing it well. So again, you know, best advice I can give you is sit down and write. Um, make time, follow something, whatever works for you. Um, you just have to schedule time every day. If you have to do something like uh, NaNoWriMo, 
the National Novel Writing Month, you know, whatever actually works for you. Because um, actually getting something done that's legible and has a coherent story, even a bad story, is 80% of the battle. Absolutely. It's, <laughs> it's there. So yeah, that's the, the first thing that, that I would share with anybody. And, and even knowing that going in, I've still struggled with it. it it's difficult your first time. Um, and uh, um, would definitely work, work that. Um, I don't know if you have anything else to add. I've, I've got some more things to move on to, but. Sure, just like to, to amplify what you said. And the, the principle you laid out is often shortened to big hawk. And a button chair, hands on keyboard. That's yeah, also, exactly. Yeah, as Dean Wesley Smith says, that's the, the real secret to writing at pulp speed. It's not about improving your typing speed, because really, by a certain certain point, you know, if you're a professional writer, you're going to have a decent typing speed. You're not going to be using two fingers and hunting and pecking. Right. It's, yeah, it's about like like you said, sacrificing um, a lot of. Aspiring authors, they, they fall in love with the idea of being a writer, seeing their names on the cover of a book in a Barnes & Noble or on Amazon, and they don't sit down first and take account, right, when building the tower, what it's going to cost. Right. And it will it, cost you. It will, and typing is an excellent thing. I'm a software engineer. I, I live on computers. This is mm -hmm. what I do all day long. I, I can type upwards of 80, 90 words a minute. I cannot write. 90 words a minute. <laughs> it doesn't happen that way. So, you know, past a certain point, like you say, improving your typing speed is not going to do very much for you. Right. Um, and as for the idea thing, I, mean, I want to touch upon that. Um, if you're, you're an aspiring writer, but you, you haven't written anything yet, I'm going to go back to Aristotle on this, where, you know, most people would would say, Oh well, you know, you you do what you are, right? You know, like you, I I'm a writer trapped in you know an accountant or software engineer's body, but I'm really a writer. Just haven't written anything yet. And Aristotle would say, no. You're defined by what you do, not the other way around. Okay, so I can say that I am a pianist all day long, right? But if I never never sit down and and touch a single key then I can't really say I am. But when I actually start to play, you know, and I develop the discipline and the skills through action, then yeah, I'm, I'm a pianist. So the second you actually write something to a standard, right, according to the discipline, then you're a writer. And yeah, like Nathan Owsley says in the, the chat, ideas are cheap. It, it's yeah. uh, the, the action that, you know, action talks. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so um, the other thing that I struggled with a lot at the beginning, this this was particularly rough for me at the, uh, as I was getting going, was for the first novel, this was tough, is um, how much plot do you need for a novel? Um, I'd written several short stories before and, and had a very good feel for, okay, this is how much plot I need. But 
you know, when you're fighting it with your first novel, it's, well, how much plot is too much? How much is too little? You know, how much do you need? And that, to a degree, you, the best way to learn that is to do it. But, um, you know, I, I did end up along the way finding several tools that helped me on that. And I think those are valuable for people who are getting started, you know, just trying to find out. Um, one of the things I went through, it took me forever. I, I did not have an outline for this novel, which is a huge mistake. I'm never doing that again. <laughs> but the problem, the, the problem was I didn't know how much plot I needed. So, you know, writing an outline doesn't help you and you don't really know how much you need. Like I could have an outline and then, oh, that's a 20,000 word story. Well, crap. Um, you know, now, now I have a good idea of how much plot I actually need. So I have outlines for my next two books are halfway done and I have plot notes for the next 14. <laughs> <laughs> like, like I said, I have no shortage of ideas. It's, um, you know, I have more books than I could write already. Um, but a couple tools that I found, and I, I see some people who don't like these, so I don't put them out there as gospel. I put them out there as they helped me. Mm -hmm. um, there's a book out there called um, Save the Cat. It's, um, it's got a nice structured outline um, for um, hanging a story around in general. It's, it's aimed at screenwriters, not at novelists. But um, what it helped me with very well was pacing. Um, trying to figure out, okay, well, I need to, you know, have a bit more here. I need to do this. This, this part happens too late in the book and it needs to happen earlier. Um, it, um, I've, I took a creative writing class from Larry Correa online actually a few years ago. Um, wow. um, which was extremely valuable. Um, and one of the things he mentioned and many of other people mentioned is that a writing should be a roller coaster. If, if you just do action, 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 action all the time, you get worn out. So you need some time to breathe. You need it to go up and down and up and down. And the, the, the plot structure around that with, with the save the cat formula helped me kind of figure out where the up and the down beats needed to be. Right. Um, and, and so that was really a useful tool. Um, but I also recommend not slaving to it too hard. Mm -hmm. And um, there, there's another book that's just come out that I have not had a chance to read yet, but I've seen several of my friends recommend it highly. It's called uh, Drown the Cat. And it's kind of a response to that being like, hey, don't go too slavish to the rules. Um, and um, I'm going to take a look at that soon. I just haven't gotten to it yet. Um, the other tool I found actually late late, late, late in the writing process and didn't use it a lot for this book, but it is moving forward. I will be using it a lot more is the, um, the Lester Dent master plot formula. Yes. Um, it's, it's really aimed at short stories, but the concepts fit with a novel as well. Um, yeah. Michael Moorcock supposedly wrote uh, the other books in it. Yeah, I, I could believe that. Um, my only comment would be that the Lester Dent formula is very much on it's all action and no downtime, and that works great in a 6,000-word short, short story. Um, and you probably need a little bit of catch-your-breath time in a full-blown novel. Um, but the concepts, there's a lot of points in there that are great, and I found that it actually 
fits very well with the base outline from, say, the cat, too. The two are not contradictory at all. In fact, they complement each other very well. Um, and uh, I'm a huge fan of that. I've, I've been recommending it to all my writers at this point. Like, hey, take a look at it. Learn from it. Um, I'll have to put that in the show notes. Yeah, it's, it's a great resource out there. Um, and uh, in his day when he was writing, Lester Dent made a shitload of money using that formula. So yeah, He supposedly never told the solo story. <laughs> um, and uh, it, it's, worth, it's worth a look. So um, those helped me a lot. Um, I'm going to emphasize again, think of them as guidelines, not hard and fast rules. Um, but they, they were extremely valuable to me. Um, and I, I do recommend those very highly. Excellent. We, we do have a question from the chat. Sure. First of all, have you ever attended a Clarion Writers Workshop? No, I've not. Okay. Because someone's asking, isn't a Clarion Writers Workshop basically a McDojo? Um, I would guess that from the name, but... I couldn't say because I don't really have anything to say about that. I, I've honestly taken next to no creative writing. I took some in like high school 20 years ago. And the even the class from Larry Correa was less of a creative writing class and more of a how do you write stuff and do the business part to actually sell stuff. Um, right. It was, it was an online thing, and it was through... It was through a university. I think it was Utah State. I don't remember. Um, yeah, it was something like that. It, my wife and I found it, and I don't think he's doing it anymore, but it was excellent. Um, if you are looking for a class, um, Kevin J. Anderson holds a class. Um, I believe he holds it every year in Colorado Springs. Um, and it is... Um, supposedly very good. And if you're wanting to sell stuff, Kevin J. Anderson sells a lot. Yeah. <laughs> so if you're looking for one, that's probably the one I'd recommend. But I, I've never really taken much, so I couldn't make good recommendations on that. I'm a big fan of the internet and the amazing resources you can learn if you're just willing to spend half an hour on Google. Exactly. And um, GeekGab Prime host Eddie Warpig informs me that it was at Weber State University, which he knows because he attended um, the class in person. Oh, hey. <laughs> My wife just told me the same thing from the other side <laughs> of the room. So <laughs> I can confirm that as well. Um, and it, it, if he runs another one, it was excellent. I highly recommend it. And for the price, it was, it was very inexpensive online as well. It was something like $90. Um, so you, you can't beat that for the price. Yeah, Kevin J. Anderson, um, uh, Nathan Osley says, does offer his yearly classes on his website. Yeah, and I've, I've heard him in person give the pitch for them at DragonCon. I just, um, and they're, they're not expensive either. You just have to actually travel to his class to get there. That's the hard part. <laughs> <laughs> but then again, while we're, while we're talking during the course of the show, Kevin J. Anderson will finish and sell two novels. Yeah, he, he may well at his speed. You talk about pulp speed and um, holy cow, that man's output. 
Um, any any further notes? Any other noob writing mistakes that you think first time yeah, I, should avoid? I have one, and this was one other one that for me this rounds it out. I had three that were huge, and and this is the last one, which is um, drama is about conflict and difficulty. That's something I had to keep reminding myself because um, I live a life where I'm generally living with competent people and around competent people. And when, when a competent person sets out to do something, they usually go make it happen, right? So I'm, I'm writing characters who I want to be generally competent people, and I'm sitting here writing, and I realize that, number one, well, this is too short because nothing happened. And then number two, <laughs> it's kind of boring because they went out and set out to do something, and they did it. And so what I had to do is actually force myself consciously as I was having characters do something like, okay, what could possibly go wrong while they're doing this? And um, of course the answer to that is everything could go wrong. Right. So <laughs> you just have to start thinking about it. Like, okay, they're trying to do something. What could go wrong? And those are the parts that actually make the story interesting. Um, to borrow a line actually from the Lester Dent Master Bolt formula, right at the beginning, he's, you know, his advice, first first paragraph, preferably the first sentence, put your hero in a heap of trouble. Um, mm -hmm. and, I, and I recommend that throughout the story. Like, keep looking like, okay, your hero is doing something, but what is out there to stop him from doing it? Even if it's not action, even if you're doing drama, like, you know, Who's going to try and keep your hero from accomplishing his goal? And what are they going to do? What obstacles are they going to throw his way? Um, that's what makes the story fun, is when he has trouble and then overcomes it to get his goal done. Um, and, um, and that was something that was tough for me, was having to go back and add all that. But um, once I got in the right mindset, it helped. So... That's really the big piece of advice is that's what makes the story is put the conflict in, find something to make it hard for them for him to overcome. And Agreed. Um, that, uh, I think I did a good job of that. I'll leave it to my readers to decide. I think you did. <laughs> to expand on that, piece of advice that I heard from Brandon Sanderson is that he will go through like on a second, third draft and he'll ask himself, okay, so are my main characters always making the right decision? Because he's found that it's often more fun when a character makes the wrong choice at a fork in the road. So right. he's been known to throw out 500 pages of writing <laughs> because he's like, no, the, the character... Like made the easy choice here. Like made the competent choice. I'm gonna go back and have him, you know, zig where he should have zagged, turn left where he should have turned right, and follow that. Um, that's great advice, and I'm going to write that down for my next works because um, I, I I had a few choices. Um, I'm a fan person as a reader. I'm a fan of competent characters, um, mm -hmm. but competent doesn't have to mean perfect either. And, um, and I, I do right. think that's really good advice to, to have them make mistakes. Um, and, and sometimes uh, it's, it's often even better if the character is competent and knows what the right thing to do is, but some 
temptation, like some play on a heroic flaw, tempts him to make the wrong choice against his better judgment. That, um, it, because then you have characters who are not perfect. And also, mm -hmm. you know, if your character knows what the right choice is, but for some reason is unable to make the right choice, um, mm -hmm. all of us in real life have been through that. You know? okay. <laughs> we know what the right choice is, but we can't for whatever reason. You know, um, uh, an easy example, like, hey, I know that if I buy this item in bulk at the grocery store, I can save a ton of money. But... <laughs> I don't have money to buy it in bulk because I don't get paid until tomorrow and I have $3 in my wallet. <laughs> and, you know, we've all been there. That's an easy example and a simple example, but you know, you can have that in all kinds of situations where life intervenes and prevents you from making the easy choice oh. or, or the correct choice. I should say it. it yeah. uh, um, How often have I wished I could buy the case of ramen instead of just, the, the single chicken flavored pouch, but the last I could not. Right. So, um, you know, reality imposes constraints on all of us and your book should do the same. You know, you have to put constraints on your characters because again, that's what makes it interesting. If they do everything perfectly, they're, they're no fun. They're boring. Um, exactly. So. We have another question from the chat sure. from mm -hmm. John Mollison who asks, how has editing affected your writing? Is it a good thing to practice to build your skill set as a writer? I absolutely hate editing. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to throw that out there. I, I don't like it very much at all. I've been actually offloading as much of that as I can. Um, my we picked up uh, Declan Finn's A Pious Man lately, and my wife actually did most of the editing. Um, it's a personal issue. Uh, you might even call it a personal failing. Um, I don't have the patience to reread the same thing 10 times um, that you need as a good editor. I can make myself do it, but I'm, I, I struggle with it. It's a constant struggle to do. Um, I definitely think it's it's been a helpful experience. Um, I can say I, I have noticed things as an editor um, that then you go and say, well, I'm not going to do that. Um, and I'll, I'll throw out one other piece of advice to a first-time author that I have found now that I have edited several novels and read many indie novels that, that could have used more editing. This is surprising, and I'm not sure why it is, but I have found that the second quarter of a lot of books from new authors really drags. Hmm. Um, I don't know why. I don't know why the second quarter just bogs down. I don't know why that's where it bogs down, but it does. And um, the first draft of my own novel, War Demons, I had the same problem. It, it, um, it dragged a lot, too, and I, I ended up, the save the cat formula helped me fix that problem. It, it dragged so bad in the second quarter. Um, but I've seen that a lot now. I've seen it from four or five different novels that we've gotten drafts of, and I've seen it from several other novels that I've read um, that I've just picked up and bought. And um, it's something I would say to pay attention to as a writer. Yeah. Just shooting from the, the hip here, just an off the cuff diagnosis. Uh, 
the format that I like to use is Dan Wells' seven-point writing system. Mm -hmm. And it sounds like it, it really also does mesh with uh, Lester Dan Formula and Save the Cat very well, because really what all of these writers are describing is, I think, the same thing. I, th I think it's a groping the elephant kind of scenario where they've right. latched onto things. Because of human our human nature, this is how we like stories to be told. And they're just putting slightly different... Um, Covers on it, right? You know, packaging it slightly differently, but absolutely. Um, according, to, yeah, according to the seven-point system, if it, if it does jibe with, with save the cat. The second quarter is about where your second turn should be. There should really be two in the first act, and so yeah, it, I think that second twist. I think that does jive. I'd have to see their whole thing to really say that for sure, but. The um, in the safe the cat they call it the catalyst moment. It's the um, mm -hmm. the catalyst and then the break into act two where you have the one. The catalyst is the bit that really kind of starts to set everything in motion. It makes your hero think about it, and that really needs to happen fairly early on, like like around fifteen percent of the way in, and then right. the actual break into okay, your hero's decided he's going to go do something about it, around twenty five thirty percent. And and really, my problem was, and I've seen this a lot, is that that moment where they're actually—that's where the action really gets going at that point. And I've yeah, seen this so could be books, a pinch there. It, I've seen so many books where it just drags. It's too much intro getting up to that point. It's like you, you don't need that. You know, give as little intro as you can get away with, and then get to the good stuff. Um, I'll throw this. Oh, out I'm with there. you. I'll throw this out there again. If you want another great, it's not a formula so much, but if you just want an example of how to do it right, the first Terminator movie mm. is absolutely perfect because the film gives you so little. If you think about that movie, the amount of information conveyed in order to get the idea across in the movie is huge. But there's almost no exposition. There's, there's no talking head moment. There's no just sitting there getting a data dump moment it's all done on the move um there's just a teeny bit of introduction at the beginning and then bam the movie takes off and everything else happens while they're moving and um it's a fantastic example of that um i try to emulate it as best as i can and i i could could not recommend that enough for people to use as a model for anything action related there recommended you have no excuse out there, folks. Follow Russell's advice. Uh, I like to respond to just something from Raul Nyanzi in, in the chat. It says, we all hate editing. I'm the odd duck here because I, I'm i going to confess, I love it. I, I drive a deep, visceral satisfaction from just slashing out unneeded verbiage and combining characters and just ma making the whole thing as sleek and, and streamlined as possible. And, yeah. and I think it's because... Whereas you have to discipline yourself to read the, the same paragraph multiple times over. That's how I naturally read. I always have. Like, I, I always have right. to read the same paragraph at least three times before I'm fully satisfied that I get it. So I'm an excruciatingly slow reader as a result, which is why it took me a while to get back to you on, uh, on Lord Demons. But uh, I think it makes me, um, if not a good editor, then at least an enthusiastic one. Well, and that, that really is an essential skill set for that job. Um, 
So um, more power to you. I, I, I will put this anecdote out there. I, I hate editing so much that I waited like four months on my own novel before I went into editing on it <laughs> because I had all the notes back from my own editor, um, my, my, which I'm whom I share with Brian, uh, El Jaggi, camp writer, um, edited my novel. Um, and it's not entirely bad because you do want to leave the pie to cool on the windowsill for all. You want your thoughts to kind of gel so you can look at it with fresh eyes. It did help with that effect, but really I was just procrastinating because I didn't want to do it. <laughs> I can't I can't give myself a good excuse. That I did have that effect afterward of looking at it with fresh eyes and I liked that. It was nice, but that wasn't why I did it. I was just I hated editing so much. I had a fantastic set of notes from her, a set of notes from my wife, a set of my own notes from having reread it, and I just didn't want to do it. So it took forever to get to it. And then once I did it, it took me like three weeks. Okay. Well, you've given me such a perfect opening here. I can sort of plug. Uh, folks, I do offer professional editing services. I'm extremely reasonable. So if you hate editing, you have a short story or a novella or a novel that you would like another pair of experienced eyes to take a look at, just uh, contact me the uh, email contact button at my blog, Kairos, which you can find linked in the show notes. Okay, end, end blatant flogging. Go, go ahead. Well, I'll just uh, I'll follow up by helping you with that and saying that um, my follow-up to War Demons, or one of them, is a novella that's about 75% done. Um, its working title is Vigil. And um, I have contracted Brian to edit that. So... Um, I'll give him a plug, even though I haven't used the services yet. <laughs> well, thank you. But I'll I'll let you guys know if he sucks. Um, yeah, do just it. Kidding. I'm sure he'll be awesome. But um, but yes, he he does do that work, and you should help him. Okay. Any other points? Any other first time mistakes to look out for? Um, I had probably millions of them, but that's what I wrote down in my notes and what I can think of at the moment. And those, those are really the biggest. I'd agree. And, uh, we, we're a little over time, so I think that's a good point to wrap up on. Okay. Anything else you'd like to say to our listeners before we close it down? Um, just, uh, once again, I, um, I've got uh, an urban fantasy novel entitled War Demons coming out on September 19th, I think is our current scheduled release date for that. Um, should be out on Amazon then. Um, if you're into that sort of thing, give it a shot. I've been, I can't tell if they're all saying it because they're my friends or not, but all the readers who have read it so far have really enjoyed it. So, um, give it a shot. Yeah, I, I know I did. I'm, I'm not just trying to kiss up here. It, it was fun. I, I enjoyed it. So there are folks. This has been GeekGab on the Books with author and editor Russell Newquist. You can find links to his blog, to Silver Empire Publishing, in which he is the editor-in-chief, and to Lioness, his short fiction project in the show notes below. You can also find links to my award-winning Soul Cycle of which Soul Dancer, the Dragon Award winning Best Horror Novel, and Secret Kings on sale right now. You can get them both for less than seven bucks. And there's also my well-received novella, Game of the Pearl. Also, be sure to subscribe. Su subscribe to our channel. And then double secret subscribe by clicking the little bell icon 
or YouTube won't send you email notifications. So once again, thanks to everyone for joining us. And remember to keep reading.